0: longtime friend of the congregation, Nate Sims. We're grateful to have you preach for us this morning. So brother Nate, please come share with us from God's word. You guys are going to get tired of me soon. You guys are going to be like, when is that guy getting at? I like her. She's got some, hey, but you know, I'm still getting to know names. I don't know who the pianist is, but I like her. She's got some spice this morning. You know? She's excited to worship God, you know? And by the way, as you have guest speakers come in throughout the summer, feel free to give out some spiritual yummies. You guys want to know what a spiritual yummy is? Yeah, you, know, you know, if you, if I feed you spiritual truth, right, if, you, if God's word gets in your heart, just go, mmm, you know, it's like, you know, you eat food, like, mmm, that was good, right? That's what that's called, you know? Growing up in church, everybody's going, mmm, all the time, it's, you know, just got to give a name to it, it's a spiritual yummy. So, there you go. Anyway, I'm digressing here. So, we are talking about John three sixteen, perhaps the most well-known passage of scripture And non-believers know about it, too. Like, they they see it in sporting events, right? Right between the field goal post and football and things like that. And so we are going to finish up the second portion of John chapter 3. And that was a lot of reading by Tim. And so we cannot get through every piece of of, of those verses. But we're going to answer three questions that the text talks about. The first question is, what does the love of God look like? Secondly... Why would people reject the love of God? And then lastly, what does it look like to be impacted by the love of God, to receive the love of God, and to live it out in your life? Okay? All right, so a little bit about me. I love Starbucks. You'll see me walking around frequently with a, you know, Starbucks coffee. And the reason why is because I grew up in a divorced home. And so when I went to visit my dad about twice a month, on a, on a Saturday morning, he would always take us to Starbucks. And we would sit there, and I would be drinking Frappuccinos, okay? I used to love the double chocolate chip Frappuccinos, maybe the strawberries and cream. I don't want to admit it, but I do like the strawberries and cream. And um, so we're sitting at the table, me and my brother and my dad, and, and we're nerds, okay? So what do we do at Barnes & Noble when we sit at the Starbucks cafe? We get the Gamer magazine, and we would just read about games. And so we would figure out, okay, what's the next game that we're going to buy and play? And so that was just a relational piece. That It's just like a tradition that kind of stood out in my mind as growing up as a kid, and that's why I like Starbucks, and I ended up working there for five years later on. But um, And don't drink frappuccinos, are nasty, um, you know, ingredients-wise. But anyway, I you know, towards high school, my dad took me out, and he sat me down in the chair, and we're talking as I'm sipping on my frappuccino. I don't know which one it was, but... He started to say, you know what, son, you shouldn't believe in Christianity. And he gave me a list of reasons of why Christianity isn't right. And I'm sitting there, because I, you know, my, my dad, he's an agnostic slash, you know, atheist, and he kind of transitioned to agnostic, I believe. And my mom kind of grew up in a very traditional Christian Baptist environment, and it was all about the rules and regulations, you just got to do these things. And so, you know, I, I'm sitting there, and my dad is giving reasons why I shouldn't be a Christian, and I had no idea how to respond, right? I, I, I didn't know why I believed what I believed in. So Starbucks has a special place in my heart because that's, that's the place that God said, go on a quest. You're on a quest to go find me out. And so that's what really propelled me into you know, exploring spirituality and Christianity and figuring things out. And so After Starbucks, I went home frustrated, irritated. I said, you know what, God, if you're real, I want to serve you for the rest of my life. I want to talk about Jesus everywhere. But if you're not real, I'm living for me. I'm going to be the captain of my own life. I'm going to steer my own ship. And so, yeah, it it was an, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm here preaching. I'm not an atheist or anything, so I guess you know where I landed, but uh, I started my spiritual journey of trying to figure something out. Does God exist? And the reason why I started out this foundational part is because it's a very simple thing. Either God exists or he doesn't. There's not 37 options. He either exists or he doesn't. It's 50-50. So I figured, okay, let's figure this part out. And a lot of Christians, a lot of spiritual people have this struggle throughout their entire life, and it's normal. Okay? So I just want to talk about two reasons real quick. And I can only do it real quick, two reasons why I believe that God exists. Why do I lean on God's existence opposed to non-existence? And the first thing is called a, a teleological argument. And what that is is basically reasoning that God exists because there's a lot of design and complexity in the world that we live in. Uh, things are structured And so, like, if you think about, like, just a fine-tuning example of, like, our environment is so incredibly sensitive and fragile that, like, it's hard to prove that it would be just random chance, right? Like, human life is extremely fragile. We're at a perfect distance from the sun. And so um, there's all kinds of reasons and ways you can argue quotes about biology and how complex and unique this world is. But here's a quote Um, from a guy named uh, McGrath, and he says this, The existence of carbon-based life on Earth depends upon a delicate balance of physical and cosmological forces and parameters. Where any one of these quantities slightly altered, balance would have been destroyed and life would not have come into existence. Life is sensitive. You know, we are in a very unique position. And, you know, another thinker, William Paley, came up with the watchmaker idea. And the, the watchmaker illustration is this. If you're walking through the forest and you stump, hit your foot on a rock, you would look at it and say, this stinking rock, you know, it's just a rock, it's just ridiculous, right? But, and I'm going to modernize a, the illustration, but if you were to stumble upon an iPhone sitting in the forest, you would pick it up and you would say, wow, like who made this? And the reason why is because if you look at the components of an iPhone or watch or whatever technology, you would realize that these components are intricately, intricately weaved together and they work together in a complex way. And so the idea is that, okay, well, who put that there? There had to be a designer behind the iPhone, which obviously we know is Apple. So that's one, uh, one reason as to why um, I believe that God exists. Another reason... It's just that we live in a life with intelligence. We are intelligible people. Think about it. We go to parties, right? We laugh, we have fun, we get angry, we see beauty, we love artwork, right? You know, artists, you know, you go outside and you paint the trees and you just... Whatever thing that you love to look at, whatever the beauty of this world is, that's intelligible. That's conscious, right? And so if God doesn't exist... How did unintelligence make sense? It doesn't reduce intelligence. Right? It just doesn't seem to make sense. It doesn't really seem to correspond to reality that we can't quit unintelligent matter. And so as I'm thinking about this, I'm like, man, it doesn't adequately like, represent life. I don't want to go on my anniversary and say, honey, I love you, but it's just the chemicals in my head that are somehow producing these feelings. And, well, you know, happy anniversary, babe. You know, I, she smacked me across the head, right? You know? you know, that's not how I write my Valentine's Day cards. No, I love her. That Love is a real feeling, it's real, it's tangible in a sense, right? And so those were just two things there's all kinds of other beliefs that kind of led me to God's belief, which is the cosmological um, there's another argument called the Kalam argument, which is just phenomenal and there's all kinds of resources I would love to talk to you about if you're struggling with that question but for me, the meter tipped to say, okay, there has to be a God there's no way that God couldn't exist but then the question became, well how like, how do I know who God is? There's all kinds of other religions. There's other expressions. There's other kinds of humans that think differently than me. And so I began to go on the quest of finding out, okay, God, who are you? Designer, who are you? And as I look around at other religions, it's cold. If you look at Epicureanism, for example, in Greek philosophy, which Christianity completely smashed the Roman Empire as far as religious beliefs, but the reason why Epicureanism fell apart is because it's such a cold belief of deity. God kind of maybe created things, like there's some kind of intelligent force, but God is not really involved in your personal life, right? And there's other religions like Islam and, and, and you know, Hinduism and other, and other practices and beliefs that say, well, you just got to find the way, you know, you just got to go do these things. And so it's like, man, like if I had a, if, if, if God was like, okay, do these wonderful things and you might have a relationship with me, I'll determine that later. That's not really a relationship, you know, we don't treat our spouses, our, our relationships like that, like it's just so transactional. No, you want to know that you have this intimate, beautiful relationship with God. Where am I going with this? John three sixteen. explodes everything. That exists. For God, what does it say? For God, which is a claim that says God exists. For God... So love the world, which means that God loves everybody. God loves every type of human being, every race, every person, even the wicked people of the world. God loves everybody. And this is like the Jewish people even were were, were shocked to hear about this because the Jewish people were, were very nationalistically focused. But if you look at the Old Testament, you're going to see that God loves all people. And just look at Ezekiel chapter 18. It says that God does not delight in the death of the wicked. God loves everybody. Even if you're running away from him, God loves you. God cares about you. Which means you have value. Every human being has intrinsic value from God because we're made in his image. See, if you probably believe, you probably believe in shaping the world to some kind of justice, right? But if there's no God, then there's no value to human life because we came from nothing. We came from... Materialism, random chance. And so if we're living life, human value has no real value. And so what atheists will do, and if you actually study atheists and you really read their, their, their scholarship, they're going to tell you this. There's no way to prove certain forms of justice. Like we can't, like it's a violent world that we live in. Survival of the fittest. Do whatever you can. But there's no moral standard. So what an atheist usually will do is they will borrow from the Christian worldview and say, well, everybody has value. But how can you prove that if we're, all, if we're all random chance? If we're random pieces of matter that evolved over time? So it's just really, really interesting. So Christianity, right, gave birth to human rights across the world. Because every human being has value. Interesting, isn't it? So, and that is... We all have this incredible value by God. God loves all of us, and that is so incredible, and that should just make you feel good. So, no matter what you've done in your life, just know that God loves you. No matter what mistake you've done, God loves you. Your enemies, people that you don't like, God loves them. We serve a God of love and compassion. But there's more to the story, right? So, what does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave. So, how do you know somebody loves you? What does that love look like, right? Like, how do we know? Like, what does the love of God look like? Well, he gave. So, if you want to know if you're loving somebody or if somebody loves you, the way to quantify that is to see how you're giving or how is somebody giving love to you, right? think about it. If If I'm raising my kids and I don't give them my time, my resources, my love, my compassion, you know, give them fun experiences or invest in them, they could say, well, look at that, my dad didn't love me, If I don't give myself to my children, right? I mean, even think about Gary Chapman's five love languages, right? So if you want to learn how to like, love other people that receive love different than you, he, he comes up with some things, right? He talks about you know, spending quality time with people. That's a way to show love. Um, physical touch is a way to show love. Uh, you know, giving physical gifts is a way to show love. What is, every, everything that he says is all about giving, 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 giving. If you want to love somebody, you, you give to them, you invest in them. And so, here's the interesting thing, though. Not every gift is created equal. Like, there are some pretty bad gifts out there. Like, let me tell you, so I did, I was at Christmas time, and I, there was like a white elephant. I don't know if you guys have ever done a white elephant, but, you know, It's like a gift exchange, everybody brings gifts and they kind of circulate, you can steal from each other, and it basically ends when you take the last gift and unwrap it, and it's kind of, you know, the game's over. Well, I was a greedy raccoon, and I'm like, okay, I'm seeing all these cool things, but this one, like, the last gift just seemed to be the coolest one, because it was like heavier, you know, and it just kind of seemed like a cool-looking thing, so I'm like, this has got to be the best gift. And so I open it, and I am the worst person with masking my emotions. I open it, and I'm like, hmm. I should have got the other thing, you know, I should have, I would have, I would have rather had a, you know, a tea box, you know what I mean? So what this thing was, was like, it's like an old card game that made no sense to me, because it was like this really old school, like, video game, kind of like, I never even heard of this thing, I don't know what it is, but it meant something to someone who gave it. Obviously, they're giving you a piece of their story, I'm looking at this thing, and I'm like, Ugh, like, you know, it meant nothing to me, right, just kind of like, if I, If I just took hundreds of pennies and I gave each of you a penny and said, guys, I love you. I love your red hat. Here, take a penny. I love you. You would look at it and be like, "Mm, I don't care. It does not impact my life whatsoever. Right? So when you give, when you love, like gifts do matter. And what is it that God gives? He gives the highest possible gift. He gives himself. Think about it. The God of the universe who created all things, the entire universe, all these multiple galaxies everywhere, says, I love you so much, I'm going to give you me. He gives the son. See, Jesus is God in the flesh, fully man, fully God. It's beautiful. God says, I need to give you my son. But what does that mean? When you believe in Jesus, it's not just believing that he existed as a historical figure, but it's believing in his mission. What did Jesus accomplish? Right? And what was Jesus trying to do? Mend the relational brokenness between God and human beings. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to mend that relationship. And so he had to give himself. But his mission was to offer forgiveness so that we can have reconciliation. So, you know, people think of, you know, man, Jesus Christ died on the cross. That's like a weird thing. Like, why would he have to do that? Like, that sounds so sacrificial, so gory and so ugh. But here's the thing. If you forgive anybody, it's always going to cost a sacrifice. Anytime. Just go ahead. If you, if you genuinely forgive somebody, it's going to cost you the rest of your life. Literally the rest of your life. Now, what do I mean by that? Let's say you go to work. And if you're younger kids, right, you, you graduate, and you, you finally get into the career field, you make some friends, and your friend says to your boss, he goes, you know, hey, you know, I want this promotion, and um, let me tell you about my, let me tell you about Nate Sims. That guy, you don't want him on your team. He's, he's kind of a scumbag. He, he you know, he, he lies a lot, you know, he's deceitful, he's just not a good person. I know him in his personal life, he's not good. You want to promote me. And then that person gets the job. My friend now has just got the job. He has defamed my name. He has torn me down. He gets the job. Imagine the next day, this person comes up and says, hey, let's go get some lunch, man. Let's go get some lunch. You'd be like, "Uh, no, like you literally just took my job. You said a bunch of lies about me. Now I miss a promotion. Now I'm going to have to look for a job somewhere else, right? You'd be very offended that somebody defamed your name, right? So if you were going to forgive that person, what would that even look like? Well, it has to be a conversation at some point. You wouldn't just be like, oh, yeah, everything's fine. You have to have some kind of a conversation. It has to be some kind of repentance going on. But what that means, if you choose to forgive somebody, you're choosing not to hold it against them forever. See, we're human beings. We don't forgive and forget. We forgive and remember. All right, ladies? I know you've been hurt. You're not going to be able to forget the pain that you guys recently experienced. You won't, because you're humans. But how you treat that person, not holding it against them, not reminding them of that, is how you know that you've forgiven somebody. So imagine I'm in a, a workplace environment, the, the person that betrayed me now got the promotion, all my coworkers are right here, and it's kind of embarrassing, and you know what I'm not going to do? Because I've forgiven that person, I'm not going to go, hey, this person over here completely lied you know just tore my name down you would not want to serve under him or her right you don't want to work with this person if you have truly forgiven you are not going to speak badly about that person and it hurts oh my goodness does that hurt because you know how pa- how much pain you have received from that person and now you're not going to hold it against them anymore if you have forgiven somebody you're not going to gossip you're not going to say well I don't know if they're really Christians over here. They hurt my feelings. Or, oh, these people, nasty. Don't, gross. Forgiveness always costs sacrifice. Always. And if it's a sacrifice, it's going to personally hurt you. And so Jesus Christ sacrificed. He fully represented the best version of humanity, the perfect version of humanity in Jesus Christ. He lived life absolutely perfect. And when he died on the cross and he resurrected from the dead, he was able to pay for all of our problems, all of the the issues, any issue you face in life, any kind of sin that you could ever think of, any kind of betrayal, any kind of problem, he is sufficient to pay for any of that. It's beautiful. So when he's forgiving you, he has the means to do so, right? So like, man, like, if I'm in debt, I can't have somebody else come and pay out my debt who's in debt. Right? And so Jesus Christ being absolutely perfect is relationally perfect with God. So he had to pay the debt that we could never pay. And like it was said earlier, we have to simply trust and believe that Jesus Christ died on that cross. We have to simply receive that gift. And we can have this beautiful relationship with God forever. Nothing can ever take that away from you. No human beings, no, no problems, no warfare can take away the love of God. It's a beautiful belief. John 3.16 is such a, it's a and go back and just just meditate on that word for, for a while. And under, like a lot of you need to understand that God loves you. And I know there's pain and suffering. That's another sermon for another time. But let me tell you, Jesus went through pain and suffering for you. God has not exempted himself from suffering. We have a God who understands suffering completely. Right? Now that's a beautiful story. Wonderful story that God loves all of us, we all have dignity, we all have value, but the question is, why do people reject it? Well, it tells us right here, verse 19, and this is the judgment, the light is coming to the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because the works were evil. So the real reason why people reject God's love is actually pride. That is the root of the darkness is pride. Because pride says, I don't need God. I I don't need God to be in my life. And they they reject God because they don't want to listen to any kind of rules or any kind of regulations. And so they just, if you just cut God out of the equation, now you can live for yourself. You can do whatever you want. And it sounds really appetizing to do that. But that's what it is. Pride is being self-sufficient. I don't need God. I'm fine. So I'm going to give you at least three ways that Americans do this. Like, what does darkness look like? in this culture? What does it look like to reject God? Well, I'll give you three. Right. Number one, the obvious one would be atheism. So atheism is just flat out rejecting God's existence, saying, I don't believe in God. And they can do that by, like, trying to believe that there's no evidence for God. You know, and they have the reasons. They can say it's anti-science, or, you know, faith seems to be ridiculous, or I've had bad experiences with Christians, or, or other religions. But atheists just say, eh. I'm just going to cut God out of the picture, and then I can just kind of live for me. All right? And they have their own reasons to do so. But that is one way of living in darkness, is just to flat-out reject your creator. Okay. The second one is a little bit more interesting, and that's agnosticism. Agnosticism, there's, there's basically two types. So agnosticism says, I don't really know who God is. You know, God could exist, God might not exist, and I have a lot of doubts, and so I can't really seem to plant myself on a particular view. So there's something called closed agnosticism. Now, closed agnosticism says, don't know, don't care, doesn't matter to me, like, who am I to, to know any of this stuff, and they just kind of live their life, almost like atheism, but they're, they're at least a little bit open towards the idea of a spiritual being that created all things. But then there's another one that's called open agnosticism. And open agnosticism says, I don't know, and it's bothering me. Now, there's a lot of open agnostics in this culture. Let me just tell you, just from personal experience, a lot of people are searching. They're looking for meaning in their life, and they're trying to figure it all out. And let me just give you a relational tip. As I talk with agnostics, they feel as if they need to have every faith of information completely understood and figured out, and then they can place their faith and trust. But the problem with agnostics is that they end up trusting their doubts, and they kind of live in nowhere land. Like, they're just kind of just trusting their doubts, and they don't know what they do, and they're kind of immobilized, right? And so, what does Jesus say? You need the faith the size of a mustard seed, right? It's not the strength of the faith, the faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith. If I'm falling down a mountain... And I'm screaming, going, ah, I'm going to die. And I see this little branch hanging out here. And I'm like 99.9% sure that will not hold me if I reach out my hand. But I exercise 0.1%, whatever, the smallest amount of faith to grab it. And to my surprise, it holds me. It didn't matter how strong my faith was. It mattered the object of my faith. And so when I talk to agnostics, I say, okay, you don't need to know the whole picture. Right? Right? It's okay to just simply trust in Jesus and walk along spiritually and go on that journey with him. But anyway, that's just a little side tip there. So you have agnostics. That is a form of darkness because they can reject God just by saying, well, I don't have the whole picture. Well, of course we don't. We're human beings. We can't get the whole picture of every little detail. It's unrealistic. And by the way, I don't know, from Red Robin, which you never know what they do with their food behind there. I don't know. Dude, let me just tell you. Okay, this is I'm going off the rails here. But I went to this... I went to not Red Rock. I went to the city one time, and I'm ordering food, but everything was made out of glass, right? And there was this—it was like an authentic Mexican restaurant, right? So I don't, I don't know. So this guy's making guacamole back there. You can see him preparing the food. I ordered my food already, and he goes—he started so mixing it right back in. I'm a germaphobe, so I'm like, oh goodness, I just saw that. And then he's, like, banging it on the side of the trash can. I'm like, ooh. So I had to go get a refund. I couldn't eat the food. I just I couldn't do it, right? it's like, you don't know what people are doing with your fa- Like, my point is, agnostics exercise faith in all kinds of things, in your chef, in your server. Who knows what happens to your food by the time it gets to your table? Anyway, we exercise faith all the time. Trust me, my friends. If I didn't, so, listen, I don't know how they're preparing the food back there after lunch, but I'm sure it'll be better than that. I'm sure it's good. (laughs) So, the last one. Let me talk to another form of darkness, okay? Another form of darkness is customization. Now, this is is probably the most um, frequent person you're going to run across in the American world that you live in. So, they're going to say, yeah, I believe in God. John 3.16, I love John 3.16. For God to love the world... But what they do is they say, I want to treat God like a latte. I want to customize it. I want it extra hot. I want one and a half pumps of mocha, a little extra whipped cream, not too much, right? I want like a quarter inch of foam in there. They want to customize God like a Starbucks drink. They want the good out of it. So they'll say things like, well, we just believe in all the gods. And, you know, I'm sure God's going to accept you. He loves you. Right? I mean, clearly, John 3, 16, right? But what they don't read in the passage is this. Right? They don't read that um, verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And later on, Jesus talks about this. I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me, And so when somebody does that, they're actually, through their Western view of things, are saying, you know what, we're just going to ignore what religion actually says. It just sounds way better that everything just goes up to God. And they completely ignore what, what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't say, everybody just gets to heaven however they want to. He says, you must have a relationship with me. Right? But we like to customize God to however... However, we want to. So that's one way of saying, "Okay." Another way that they do this is they say, "Well, I'm just going to assume that God thinks exactly the way I think. Exactly, the way, God must think just like me." And so what they do is they're going to. I actually, I had a table talk outreach the other day, and I had this this, this woman come out and. Um, she was a lesbian, and, and she was having some questions. She's like, I can't believe in a narcissistic God that would send people to hell and all kinds of things. Like, I just can't believe in a God like that. And, and there's other people at the table that resonate with that message, too. D- you know, it doesn't matter. There's all kinds of people that say, okay, like, why would God send anybody to hell, blah, blah, blah. And they get all angry and they go, God can't do that. That's okay. You know, you want to reject God's wrath and stuff. And so I asked her, I said, well, what does the wrath of God look like? And what do people think? When you think of the wrath of God, what do you think of? You think of like fire and thunder and lightning and God's going to zap you if you're doing the wrong thing. I'm going to send you to hell and all this stuff, right? The wrath of God is way more scary than that. If you look at Romans chapter 1, what does God's wrath look like? You want to go live life the way you want to? You can have it. Go ahead. That is the scariest wrath in the world because how do we know what we want? And, and, and if we go, like the lady at the talk, table talks, she goes, I don't want God in my life. Okay. Well, that's what hell is. If you want to reject God, go ahead. Reject, like, he's going to give it to you. Like if you want to live in isolation, that's what hell is. Living in complete isolation away from the presence of God. You are by yourself. Hell is living with yourself for eternity. That's what hell is. You disintegrate into your own mind. A lot of people, they try to, the Breath of God is he just gives you what you want. You want yourself. And so a lot of people, they try to make God into something. They basically try to say, okay, I want God to look just like me in the mirror. So who are they with? They're with himself. So God gives them exactly what they want. You want to customize God to look like you? That can't contradict you? Good luck in marriage. Right? Like, that doesn't work. You guys ever guess watch Seinfeld? I know I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit older. But this guy named Jerry, and he's dating somebody, and he's finally ready to get married. He's like, I think I found the one. And then he found out that this girl basically is just a mirror representation of himself. And, and he's like, she's just driving me nuts. It's just like, I feel like I'm dating myself. And says so it didn't work out, right? So that's what a lot of us do. We treat God as if God is us. Just, you know, and I don't know about you, but I would not dare think that the God of the universe who created all things thinks exactly the way I think about life. It just... It's just a little bit arrogant, right? That's what we do. That's that's what people in our culture do, and that's very frequent. And it it provides a lot of good space for conversation. So here's the question. What does it look like to receive the love of God and live it out? Well, I'll tell you, John the Baptist shows us very clearly. This is what he says. He says... uh, Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. So John the Baptist, doing great ministry, he had this phenomenal job to show people that Jesus really was the Messiah, the prophesied one to come to deliver humanity from their problems, right? And so John had this great ministry. He's baptizing people. He's teaching. There's crowds of people all around him. And I... I it's going to feel good, right? Because you feel like whenever you do ministry and people are listening, it does feel good, right? So John is feeling great. Man, people are listening, they're coming out, they're getting baptized. This is wonderful. And he has disciples, right? John is pouring his life into his disciples, and what are they realizing? Jesus has more disciples now. John, listen, listen, man, our ministry, it's kind of like dwindling here. Everybody's following Jesus. all over. we're losing, we're losing it, we're losing it. And what did John say? Oh, he's got to, he, he must increase. It's not about me. So the answer, my friends, if you truly receive the love of God, you're going to be a humble person. Philippians chapter 2, right? Jesus became human. God became human, right? It is so humiliating, right, to be crucified on a cross by these little people that he's created. These little people, they're killing Jesus. How humiliating is that? You're dying naked on a cross. How humiliating is that in a shame and honor culture? Very humiliating. It took a tremendous amount of love and humility because what did he bear on that cross? In John, um, if you look back in John here, John 3, what does it say? If the world. Died, Did not uh, send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. So Jesus on that cross took your condemnation. And the very last last verse of of chapter 3 says this. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So Jesus took your condemnation. And he took your wrath. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now he's, now he's isolated from the Father and Spirit. He goes to hell for you. He bore that literally on the cross for you. If that doesn't humble you, I don't know what will. That is so beautiful that our God would do that. So, we live humbly. We, we, we don't say, of course God loves me like the Americans typically do. Of course God loves me. No, it's a joke. It's it's actually, it's like, I can't believe God would love me. I'm a crazy fool. That God would love me to that depth, the ultimate power comes ultimately down here to experience death, which is complete darkness. God went to darkness for you, my friends. Let that soak into you, the love of God. Let that just hammer Hammer your heart in such a way, galvanize you to where you can love other people and forgive Christians who have hurt you and forgive non-Christians who are shaping the world in radical ways that we probably don't agree with, right? We need to humbly love people, have conversations with them, lead them to the light and let God do his work. He will bless your conversations. And as you see here, John the Baptist had joy about it. He loved, and that's what he pointing people at Jesus. And that's what he did. He constantly expressed his joy. We praise everything that we love. You know, whatever you know, you like guacamole, you like you like uh, like hamburger, whatever you like, you like that movie, the new the new series. You share it, you express it. We praise that which we love. So focus on John 3, 16. See that God loves you, and you will sing his praises. You're going to have that joy. You're going to have that comfortability. You're going to see that humility that you're not better than anybody else. Nicodemus, a few verses beforehand, Mr. Spiritual Elite. And then you have the woman at the well in John chapter 4. They're on equal footing. The gospel will equalize you. You are not better than another person. And that's so wonderful. Because now I don't have to look down at people. I can expect, yep. You're going to hurt me. I'm going to forgive you because God forgave me. And there's all this now. Be refreshed. So today, Lighty's Church, I want you to just go out and be refreshed that God just loves you. Just let that soak into your heart. Didn't have to, but he did. And that's wonderful. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for loving us, for creating us, giving us purpose, loving us in this world that is spinning out of control. And there's a lot of things that Man, that can just really hurt us and, and, and damage us but it is so comforting to know that at the end of the day that you love us you care for us so help us to love other people that are different from us help us to care for people when they're needy help us to be humble Lord and we love you and, and we, we bless the food this afternoon and, the, and the, the community aspect of just getting together and just having great conversation with other believers here in this congregation so we love you and give you all praise and glory Amen.